We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway, lays it in. Zach Levine does it again. The late shot on the middle. Larry Markkinen. The crossover. Levine. Get out the way, Trey Young. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're on the Blue Wire Network. We're brought to you by DoorDash. We're brought to you by NFL Sunday Ticket. We're brought to you by Manscaped and by BetOnline.ag. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Pat. Uh, Jason, we also have a guest with us. We're going to be talking NBA draft on this episode. I'm very excited about that. One of my favorite draft analysts on the internet uh, covering the draft this year, it's PD Webb. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Above the Break Three. Uh, PD, what's going on, man? Thanks for uh, joining us on this episode. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, go, uh, go, WIU. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that uh, you've been supporting that silly project of mine uh, for the last few months. But we're having you on this episode because you just wrote a great article about Killian Hayes. Uh, really the most in-depth breakdown I've read of his game so far that's on your Patreon. So everyone go to uh, PD's Twitter, check out his Patreon, uh, subscribe to that, read this Killian Hayes article. He's been doing a lot of good, really like awesome, super in-depth player breakdowns throughout this entire season. I remember you did one early in the year on Isaac Okoro that was awesome. Uh, you've, you've just been like doing these uh, super in-depth player breakdowns, I guess, uh, over the last few months. So this Killian one fits right in with that. Uh, Killian is the player that I would love for the Bulls to take at number four. Uh, that's who I had them taking in my latest mock draft. I think that, you know, he fits the Bulls and you argued in your piece, he fits a lot of teams basically really well. Uh, just given 
how his skill set is sort of scalable to high level NBA basketball. So I guess just uh, coming into it, what are your overall impressions of Killian as a player? I guess for people who don't know, Killian Hayes is like a six five, six six point guard. Uh, had sort of a distinguished career on France's youth teams. I first saw Killian Hayes play in the U-17 World Cup in 2018, going against an American team. They got blown out in the in the gold medal game that year. But that France team also had Theo Maldon, who's a potential first-round pick this year, a few other really good-looking young prospects on that France team. Killian Hayes was one of them. Uh, now he's, you know, a projected lottery pick. We don't exactly know how high he's going to go. Uh, but, you know, what are your overall impressions, I guess, of Killian as a player? And what did you, uh, you know, uncover about him doing your research writing that piece? So the thing that jumps out to me with Killian is how developing he is still. That's um, an idea that happens a lot with, like, we expect draft prospects to be finished. And uh, Killian's still really growing. Like, even going through the year, you can see him learning on the fly, which is really exciting. Um, I first saw Killian uh, at a... JBC event in 2017 and he was like slow as dirt um, and the next time that I saw him was that FIBA tournament and he was still struggling to beat hard hedges and then you know a year later at Cholet he's suddenly a guy who can break people off off the dribble and this year at Ulm suddenly you have a guy who's making three or four moves getting by people and even though he's a very lefty dominant can still blow by people going to the right um, the overview with him is that he is probably the second best passer in this draft, probably the best game manager um, with an ability to separate and uh, pretty remarkable athleticism considering where he was. You saw him two and a half years ago. Yeah. I think that like, to me, Killian Hayes's ability in the pick and roll is one of like the strongest individual skills just in this entire draft. Like the guy is made for pick and roll basketball uh, if you've seen him play, I think, you know, super left-handed dominant. Uh, some people will knack the fact that he doesn't have an offhand yet. Uh, we could talk about that a little bit more later, but just sort of like watching him. How do you see him sort of attack the pick and roll? And, you know, I feel like the the playoffs just like spotlight this so much, like how now you sort of need like the in-between game against drop coverage. You see Dragic have a great first round series for Miami against the Bucks because, you know, when they're playing drop coverage, he's able to like hit that floater, hit the dribble pull up. I think that like Killian has some of that from what I've seen. Uh, The knock on him is that he's not a super explosive vertical athlete going to the basket. Uh, So I'm curious, just like what you see of him as a pick and roll player in terms of the passing, uh, you know, do you think he can throw every pass in the book? How do you think he reads the floor? But then too, like part of it is also putting pressure on the defense with your scoring ability to sort of, keep the defense off balance. So, you you know, they don't know whether to over-prepare for you keeping the ball and trying to score or passing. So how do you sort of see him as a scorer in the pick and roll as well? I will say that with his left hand, he has almost every pass in the book Um, with a really, really advanced uh, degree. He can make the cross-court skip with a live dribble pretty consistently. Uh, He can make hook passes to the corner. Um, His issue isn't so much that he's one-handed, it's that he's a one-handed passer. Um, his handle is very impressive, even going right. And I think that people oversimplify simplify his discomfort passing and somewhat finishing with his right with like, general unright-handedness. Um, it's funny that you brought up Dragic because he played with Zoran in Ulm. 
um, which is disorienting at all times because you just forget that Zoran exists. And then you're like, oh, who's this? Oh, that's, oh, yeah, huh. Um, he's good in in-between spaces. He's almost, he's a better shooter off the dribble than he is as a catch-and-shooter. So when teams drop, he's really comfortable um, snaking that pick-and-roll and walking into whether it's uh, a 16-foot pull-up or uh, a floater. He's a he's a shooter with incredible touch, uh, and his projection shooting is based on that touch on floaters, on 16-footers, um, on his off-the-dribble shooting and having a pretty stupendous free-throw percentage. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up that shooting because you spent a lot of time kind of talking about his form and, like, I think it was you – to call it was it like one motion versus like 1.5 it was something like that just basically that whole breakdown about how he's like a really good shooter off the dribble but like he's terrible in catch and shoot situations or he has been he just, i guess just talk a little bit more about just like what the difference is like how like his comfort level with or like why do you think that is why he is so much better at like because most people i feel like shooting off the dribble and like pull-ups that's usually like a tougher shot than if you're standing there wide open catch and shoot it's usually a pretty much easier shot. Why is he so much better shooting off the dribble versus the catch and shoot right now? So it's because he doesn't have a ton of natural rhythm. Um, when you shoot off the dribble, do you have to push the ball down? Then you put one foot down, the ball comes up, put the other foot down, you rise up. There's, it's a pretty hard to alter that sequencing. Um, we're on catch and shoot. His timing is so funky because he has to catch the ball. He has to bring it in. Then he has to figure out his footwork. Um, the form differences aren't super um different from catch and shoot to off the dribble until it gets to the actual release and i think that's again just a function of it's hard to do two motions off the off the dribble with any kind of mobility um and it seems very easy to clean up to me just to say hey shoot like you shoot off the dribble all the time and you'll see moments you know he's obviously a person who's had to tinker with his temper a lot um you know being under the academy system and france's national team it's been of utmost importance of them to get him to shoot so he's clearly been drilled over and over again on how to shoot a certain way um i think that getting a shooting coach for him is going to be is going to be important but there's nothing in how he shoots that suggests um that he's not going to shoot it's just a, a sort of weird quirk for somebody who you know is a, a pretty fantastic off the dribble shooter to be like in the 12th percentile for catch and shoot yeah, that's so weird that's crazy yeah because normally we always think the catch and shoot attempt is so much easier to make than an off the dribble attempt killian flips that on its head and we know he's a good shooter because he hit 88 percent of his free throws this year so uh you know as you said i think like nothing looks totally broken with his jumper in terms of off the dribble i think like obviously for any like go-to lead guard having a pull-up shot with range off the dribble is just like so important and really vaults any lead ball handler like up a whole nother echelon when you have that in your bag. I'm curious, like, you know, I've seen Killian pop his shot off the dribble more in like mid-range situations, I feel like. So uh, do you think he's going to be able to shoot that with range? And then, you know, what do you think of like the step back package and all that? Like, do you project him confidently as someone who's, going to be able to hit step back three pointers, I guess at one point in his NBA career, because to me, I, I do think he could probably do that. And that's really where you start to see top five value in my thing. Yeah, I think it's uh, extremely projectable. He took a lot of step backs in home and he took them both directions with like four or five different footwork packages, whether it's uh, a sidestep, like you see Jason Tatum do. Uh, the classic hardened double step back, the step back, you know, out of moves. Uh, he's pretty comfortable getting off in a variety of situations. Uh, the, the determinant physical factor for him is going to be how much weight he can put onto his legs. 
Uh, he still really likes skinny for a guy who's like probably six six two ten. Um, but that makes sense because he's a teenager, and you know, not every six six teenager can necessarily put on leg strength. Um, and I, as a general rule, assume that people will get much stronger in American strength conditioning um, when you know it's their job to do so. There's no uh, worry about uh, balancing it because you know we're gonna, there's going to be P three or the team monitoring how he puts on weight. Uh, and yeah, like perhaps that eventually improves his explosiveness near the basket too. So I'm curious, like what, obviously that's going to be like a common knock on him is like people will knock his athleticism. I'm using air quotes as I say this, but as you wrote in your piece, and I think it's something that's sort of widely accepted at this point, like there's so many different facets of the blanket term athleticism. And I laughed out loud in your piece when you say in NBA circles, it usually comes down to, can you do an East Bay dunk? Yes or no. If you can do it, you're athletic. If you can't, you're not athletic. Uh, But there is some validity to it too, I think, just because if you're going to be a pick and roll guard, part of the game is getting to the basket, being able to absorb contact, being able to finish. Uh, So I'm curious, like, before we get into sort of like how he manipulates pace, because it all sort of blends together. Uh, and plays into his effectiveness. But, you know, do you think those concerns about him are overblown? Do you see him as someone who, like, is going to be able to get all the way to the basket and uh, finish over NBA length? Or, uh, you know, do you think there's some legitimacy to the knocks on his explosiveness around the basket? I think that he's not going to be somebody who finishes over the top of uh, NBA bigs, like, with authority. Like, he's not going to finish with a dunk over top. But he has proven really effective at targeting hip level and finishing through contact. Um, again, he's a pretty big guy for being a skinny teenager. Um, with the with the athleticism, I think that so much is made of like the last step, um, where can he charge up and can he power up? But his first step in that decisive moment of changing speeds and exploding in and out of breaks, he's going to really pop. And I assume that if he, people had his P3 testing, um, well probably isn't in the Harden-Luka range. It's probably in the upper tier of guys with stop and start first. Interesting. Uh, and then, you know, you wrote too about his manipulation of pace and sort of how, uh, you know, we, we've just seen it so much with Luka and Harden and lots of guys in the league. Just like, it's not just how fast you can go, it's how you decelerate uh, and how you can like, you know, stay in an attacking position, I guess, while you do all that. So Killian Hayes is like really good at just like understanding how to manipulate pace already at such a young age, right? Like, is that what you saw when you were doing film breakdown? Yeah. It's sort of the the blessing of being slow at a young age is that you have to figure out crafty ways of getting by people. And then as the, the weight and explosiveness came to him over the last 18 months, he added that craft to the ability to like really hit the gas when he does get separation. Um, when people crowd him, really bad things happen to defenders. Like, Peyton Siva tried to crowd him, and Peyton Siva got dropped. Um, there's quite a few clips of people who thought that the route to alter Killian Hayes, like a lot of you know six five plus guards, is to climb in their handle, and he quickly proved that like the deceleration, acceleration, deceleration combo is real. Uh, one thing I always like to look at when I'm looking at draft prospects is just like the team context. So I know you mentioned. Uh, Zoran Dragic was on his team, but like, what else did the team context look like at Ulm? And sort of like, what was the the general narrative around that team and around Killian's development? Because uh, you obviously watched a lot of games for your piece. And what what I really liked about your piece is that you 
also wrote so much about him on his previous team, the French team, Chalet. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. Uh, and you could really see Killian's improvement just like year over year. So like, what was the team context like and why was this a better situation for him? Um, so he was asked to do a really specific thing here, which is to create uh, him and Zoran and like Briscoe at a certain point uh, appeared and he had a pick and roll finisher, uh, Grant Jarrett. Um, so it's not a full NBA context because he's going to be in a little bit more motion heavy offense, but it was sort of a your turn, my turn pick and roll setup where the guards weren't responsible for breaking like the free throw line really, unless they had the ball in their hands. It was space while one works space while the other one works. Um, and I think that that was really informative because he just got as many reps like you could basically want for a 18 uh, year old in a pro league. Um, I had just, Recently done a uh, breakdown of uh, Alexei Pokashevsky, who had the opposite situation of a team not super invested in his development or playing him in an optimal role. And this basically was perfect for Killian, other than not getting as much off-ball movement just for tape purposes. I think Killian can cut and is a pretty good reader of defenses, but there wasn't he wasn't asked to do a lot of that in his current situation. Man, Grant Jarrett. I did not expect that name to come up during this podcast. I remember he was, he was a top 10 national recruit. The, the, the Andre Jordan of the BBL. He there's like ten different dunks of him just murdering somebody that I had to cut out of the piece. But ooh, he, he he's doing it overseas. Shout out to him. Uh, I'm gonna do some ad reads real quick, and then we'll get back into the Killian Hayes discussion. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and Cheesecake Factory. They're all there. Many of your local favorite restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on its way. Right now, Cash Considerations listeners can get up to $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees for your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the promo code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, promo code BLUEWIRE, $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every game live and out of market every Sunday afternoon on all your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, so you never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. All you got to do is visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, we're back. Uh, PD, where do you have Killian just in like the your personal big board of this draft? Uh, like, you know, do you view him as a top three prospect? Some people have him actually number one overall. The NBA consensus appears to be lower. Uh you know, the Draft Express guys had him going 14th in their post-lottery mock, uh, which I think was surprising to a lot of people. So opinions are all over the book on him. I'm curious where, where you have him. I think that if Killian fell out of the top three, you take him at four literally every time. Um, 
the idea that he would fall into double digits is lunacy to me. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> uh, and it fits particularly well for a Bulls team that badly needs a creator. I would say like the Bulls' biggest issue is that the creation burden has fallen to Zach Levine and Kobe White last year as a rookie. Uh, to a lesser extent, Tomas Sadoransky. I wish he would have had more opportunities to be a creator on the Bulls last year, but mostly it was Zach Levine. And, you know, Zach, I think, has his strengths as a player. Of course, we've discussed him endlessly on this podcast, but... You know, being a consistent, high-level decision-maker with the ball in his hands, that's not really Zach Levine's deal. Uh, Killian could fill that role for the Bulls and for plenty of other teams. And I think, like, in addition to just his raw talent level and, you know, the sort of archetype he fits in the league, sort of demanding that he deserves to be a top-five pick, I also think that he's a really clean fit with the Bulls. And uh, I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like the Bulls were um, like a roster that makes sense with some slight alteration. Um, like Zach Levine doesn't need to have his usage changed, but like how that usage expresses itself. Um, if if a if the Bulls had an engine that got everybody looks and Zach kept the same usage, that's probably a much more successful team. Um, so just rearranging the priorities of how an action starts is going to drastically alter how efficient Zach Levine is and probably make everybody happier and make get the like the truly special shooting out of him. Yeah, that's I mean that's definitely a great point. Was his usage was something like what, like 30 this year, but the fact that he was doing like all like the lead decision maker, like leading all the pick and roll or a lot of especially like in crunch time, like he would obviously dominate the ball down the stretch. And while he has gotten better in terms of playmaking and making those decisions, it's still especially down the stretch can turn into tunnel vision ugly stuff and just like him chucking shots. And while he can make, he can make great shots. Like, as you mentioned, if you have a, a guy, an actual, another guy next to him who can actually break down defenses and get him doing more catch and shoot shots, that makes more sense. And that goes down the line with the rest of this roster. I mean, Larry Markin had an awful, had a terrible, mostly terrible season. Having someone to actually create for him and that knows where to find him in his spots would be much better. It goes on to Wendell Carter, other guys like that. So, yeah, I mean, we, as Ricky did say, we've talked about this so much, but just them needing to say it's a high level, better, all around like number one like, engine good is a good way to put it. And have that not be exactly, not have him more, more be of that off ball score. Uh, and it does sound like Killian. I think, Ricky, you said you thought of uh, Killian as like a Melkin Brogdon type. Was he the name you brought up recently? Yeah, I right? did bring that up. That was more in terms of his build, I feel like, okay. and just sort of his lack of foot speed. Obviously, Brogdon really good off the ball shooter and that is sort of yeah. you know the obvious hole in Killian's game right now it's sort of a weird hole you would think maybe he'd be able to fix it uh with a little fine tuning of his mechanics as PD wrote about in his great piece uh yeah like I don't know comps are weird but I'm just sort of curious do you have any comps uh for Killian I guess D'Angelo Russell was a popular one for a long time uh, or like, even if it's just like a few players of different parts of their game, he reminds you of. Uh, yeah, I mean, them. if I were to try to tri- triangulate, um, I would sort of say like the middle point between Spencer Dinwiddie, um, Goran Dragic, and D'Angelo Russell. He's probably like a little more passing wired than the three of them, but the sort of big initiator who can make good decisions. Um, the obvious difference between him and Brogdon is that Brogdon entered the league very old yeah. and Killian is still super young. Like yeah. if you were to say like, what's Brogdon, you know, Brogdon was drafted like 23, I think. 
And like, I think Killian isn't going to be a Brogdon level shooter at 23, but if you're get, you were close to that at that age, like that's a, an extremely good player. I, I got one more question on Killian and then we can uh, jump to some of these other prospects, but I don't really have a strong opinion on this because as we've noted, Killian Hayes is really young. He's one of the younger prospects uh, expect to be taken in the lottery. How close do you think he is to contributing like meaningful minutes in the NBA? Could you see him being like a starter level player in his second or third year? Do you think it's going to be more of a slow burn on his development because he is so young? Uh, I don't really have a strong opinion on this one myself. So I was wondering what you think. Uh, I think that he is ready to play like serious NBA minutes. Um, the defense is really encouraging. Um, most rookies are awful defenders um, because they just are so new to the responsibility concepts. But Killian is like an adult on defense. He consistently makes the right rotation. Uh, he doesn't really gamble for things that he has no business gambling for. Um, and he is a very good communicator um, through responsibilities. So that's a floor for, for a rookie. Um, and then his initiator equity allows him to like post through games where even the shot may not go. So I would, I don't see a reason why you couldn't play him heavy minutes as a rookie. They might not be winning minutes initially. Um, but with the spacing, the bulls could theoretically throw out. I don't even think those minutes would be damaging. Yeah. Well, the bulls certainly have a lot of minutes in their potential rotation that can be improved. So I, you know, I thinking about it more like Killian was playing with grown men over the last couple of years. So uh, yeah, I think that that will help. And I'm glad you brought up the defense because I glossed over that. We should talk about the defense. Killian Hayes is really good defensively, uh, both in terms of on-ball and off-ball defense, like knowing when to help, knowing when to rotate, uh, you know, digging into the paint, stunting. It seems like he is the full package defensively for what you want in a guard, which is that he's strong, he's smart, he's long. Uh, did watching more film on Killian reveal anything to you that you didn't previously think about his defense? And, you know, how do you think that defense sort of scales to the league? My concern was that the, like he wouldn't be able to be a multi-cut defender. So like if a guard made three or four moves that he would have trouble with it, but he was routinely getting deployed on, you know, the, the mercenary guards um, overseas, which are usually like small score first guards. And he was sliding with them, you know, two, three moves, uh, a hang dribble, big cross, and he could still be there. I think that was the thing. I knew that he was going to be a good uh, rotational defender, but his dramatic improvement at being a predictive and responsive defender on ball and not getting got by screens, which is the thing that young guards drive me crazy with pretty consistently. Um, he still does the the Marcus Smart spin moves sometimes, where like when you go under a spin, you just like sort of barrel roll through it. But um, other than that, like he's just a really technically sound defender with still a lot of physical growth to be had. Jason, you want to ask about uh, some of the other prospects who could be available for the Bulls at number four? I guess I don't have anything specific with any of the other prospects, but like, I mean, just looking at the top of the draft with where the Bulls are at, look at some of the other guys we've talked about, like Denny, Avdia, Obi Toppin. Those are two of the games, two of the guys that I know Ricky has kind of talked about as guys he thinks might be there on the board. I know Denny, I feel like has been kind of a popular name throughout there. I guess we get to start with those two guys. Uh, what do you think about uh, Denny and Obi? What do you think about their fit would be on the Bulls? Um, I think we could start with Obi. Uh, okay. Obi would be uh, a lot of offense and he can't really play defense uh, in the NBA, especially as like a big. Um, the concern with the offense is that he was basically in 
outside of Trey Young, the best context for a prospect that I can really remember, um, where you know he got to have all of his strength strengthened and all of his weaknesses hidden. Um, he's an older guy, uh, and there's no guarantee that the small sample shooting is real. Um, to me, there isn't a particularly good fit uh, in terms of like people being able to cover for his defensive mistakes. And um, I, I don't think that this would be a worthwhile selection at number four. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely be disappointed if they took Obi at number four. I did a, a little breakdown of why I thought Obi and Denny would be the two guys the front office would choose from. But I mean, I said right away, I'd want Killian Hayes at number four. Uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's because, you know, the Bulls have a new front office now uh, with Arturis Karnaschovas leading it with Mark Eversley. So... Uh, I would hope that Obi's not the pick. There's a few other guys I would take ahead of him. I'm not really a Denny guy. Can you sell me on Denny and why he would deserve to be a top five pick? Or if if you believe that, um, I'm not a I'm not a believer in Denny Denny top five, um, and it has nothing to do with the shooting level, which I feel like is a thing a lot of people get um, like wrapped up in. Um, even if Denny shoots, there's not really a pathway for him be, to be a real creator or like a a tremendous difference maker. He's more like a, a really competent big four who's going to floor raise, but not necessarily be deterministic of a franchise. And for me, that's not what I would want out of a top five pick. Uh, generally a person who believes in upside and trusting uh, development arcs. And Denny is somebody that makes a lot of sense for a team that needs a wing who can pass, but doesn't their own shot can shoot but it shouldn't be asked to really do too much on their own like it's more of a system based thing like atlanta would probably get more out of him if they're going to more of a movement style to get Trey young off ball how about lamello and a rookie loves Lamelo. i think he's his number one guy I, I do you think there's any chance he could fall do you think the bulls should try to go get him because i mean again the bull, that's creator lead creator that'd be a big guy lamella ball what what are your takes on him uh, also and before you answer this question i'm also curious to add on to the end of that how much separation do you think there is between lamello and killian wherever you have oh yeah i was gonna ask that too good job um so i generally i don't believe in big boards like as a general concept because it's difficult to parse out things like how much a strength and conditioning program values LaMelo's relative inexperience in the weight room versus Killian's like years of like learning how to sculpt his body um, or how a shooting uh, coach would value work to be done on Killian versus work to be done on LaMelo. That being said, like everything that we said about Killian, just like amplify it a little bit more in both directions for LaMelo. Um, it's the same general archetype. Um, LaMelo's a better passer, but he's also much more prone to like uh, trying cool things on offense. Um, the shooting is worse, but the flashes are louder. Um, the defensive floor is higher, but the ceiling is much, much lower um, in terms of just like never being asked to defend at a, a rotational level. Um, I think that for the Bulls, if you want to, like if you get a chance to draft Lamelli, you should probably do that. Um, but you're going to need a pretty severe development plan to get him and Zach to make sense on the defensive end. Yeah. 
I fully agree with that. And, uh, you know, any any other guys you would consider for the Bulls at number four? Let's say, like, let's say Killian is just, like, not on the board for whatever reason. Uh, who, who else would you like here? I sort of like Vassell would be probably my backup pick for the Bulls at four. Uh, you also wrote a lot about Okoro, Isaac Okoro, who we should ask you about, too, because you did a great uh, breakdown on him. A lot of people have been asking us about Okoro. Uh, you know, who... who how would you sort of stack those two guys up? And, you know, who, who would you take, I guess, if you couldn't take Killian at four? So the way that I would separate out uh, Okoro and Vassell is what the organizing principle of the defense is. Um, if you, if a team's defense, uh, the central point is shunting off ball handlers, um, where the on-ball person has most of the responsibility and the help is just sort of there, you want to take Okoro because Okoro is uh, just like a pit bull in a tank's body, like about as wild of a frame as you're going to see. He does not fit into his uh, Auburn picture day picture because his shoulders are too wide. Um, he's a, a winner in basically every respect. I, I don't think he lost a uh, high school or college basketball game for like 600 days from his junior, the end of his junior year of high school till like mid-January at Auburn. Um, if you are a if you are a team whose organizing principle is help defense, like say the Milwaukee Bucks, you're going to take Vassell because Vassell is a rotation magician. Um, just understands where he needs to be. Doesn't have the best wingspan, though. I think the Florida State can be a little bit uh, tentative on its wingspan measurements. Um, but Vassell is never like short on like steals. If anything, he can like get it by too much and almost miss a steal. Like and get it with his arm instead of his fingertip. Um, I think that it sort of depends on how you believe Otto Porter Jr. is as an on-ball defender in the playoffs versus primary wings. Um, if you are more comfortable with uh, Otto as a primary defender, then, then take Vassell. Uh, if you're not as comfortable, I'd take Cora. Yeah. If I'm the Bulls, I'm drafting as if they have nothing because I, yeah, okay. I don't, I'm not worried about Otto Porter Jr. like long-term here when I'm drafting. He's well, got one year left, possibly player option. He's been hurt a ton. I probably would not even really consider that. And they just need wings in general anyways. Yeah. Like the Bulls suck. They have nothing. If you ask me, (laughs) you're not really building around anything. I think you just need those foundational pieces, which is why I would go for Killian to try to be your creator. And I mean, I don't know how many players are going to be better on the trade market this year than Zach Levine. Uh, Apparently CP3 is probably going to get dealt now because Billy Donovan just got fired. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Uh, but you really like Okoro, it sounds like. And, uh, you know, Okoro just does have a lot of winning instincts. I think you hinted at the fact that, like, he literally never lost a game in AAU or high school, too. Well, no, it's, 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 it's high school and college. He lost a, he lost a couple games in AAU, which I'm going to blame BJ Boston for. Um, but um, I think that the other thing with Okoro is that, like, people focus on the um, fact that he's, like, a bad shooter. Um, the form needs a quite a few tweaks, but it's not uh, as bad as one would think. Um, But he had like a 54% free throw rate at Auburn. um, And he's a very good passer. And that combination of being a short roll passer who can attack the rim um, with just, again, hellish athleticism uh, counteracts a lot of his uh, shooting difficulties. Um, So there's routes to, with scheme, overcome his, his shooting concerns and not, and still be able to work with defense. For um, sure. I re- I love Okoro. Just watching him play is so much fun. Yeah, no doubt. He was one of my favorite players to watch all college basketball season. He's all over the floor. Uh, I have worried about his fit into the NBA offensively, but I think you 
you said something that's really sharp there. Like, yeah, I think if you put a Coro in like a catch and shoot three and D role on offense, he's probably going to be pretty miserable. But like, if you use him as a screener, uh, you know, get him going on the short roll, like you said, he can do a lot of different things there. I think you could even use him in the dunker spot a little bit. Do you think a is ever going to have like some on ball juice to where you can put him in the pick and roll as a handler? You didn't do that a ton at Auburn, but yeah, I mean, they, they put him on the move a little bit and he's, a very sharp uh, selector of passes. And it leads me to believe that, like, I don't think that that's ever going to make up, you know, 20% of his usage, but you can definitely like get him into some DHOs that flow into a pick and roll. And he's going to be able to pick out the right read. Um, Guys who are wired like that, who just consistently flash surprising passing. um, I don't, I don't think there's too much you could throw at him offensively that he wouldn't be comfortable with with the ball in his hands. Uh, the one other guy who I think is potentially in the mix for the Bulls, I hope not, but maybe, is Tyrese Halliburton. We haven't asked you about him yet, so Halliburton, kind of a polarizing prospect. Uh, I'm sort of out on him. Some people love him. I think, you know, there's definitely good situations for him around the league. I don't know if the Bulls are that situation. Uh, do you like Halliburton? Where do, you, where do you view him in terms of, you know, range-wise in this draft where he should be taken? Um, Halliburton's probably one of my favorite prospects to watch, but I think that there's probably four good situations for him in the NBA currently. Um, and most of them are playoff teams. Um, he is a great shooter. Um, just a, a wild passer. Um, the one prospect too, I guess if you count Lamelo, who I trust jump passing and like jump passes for fun where he'll jump, make the defender, make a decision then throw the other way without looking. Um, that being said, he can't dribble. He can't beat anybody off the dribble. There has been no context I've seen him in, whether it's high school, whether it's AAU, um, whether it's USA, both years at Iowa State, where he could get to the rim. Um, he has like a Josh Green amount of left-handed layup attempts, which is bad because uh, he can't get to the cup. I think that if you were drafting him, it's because you have two rock-solid creators and two wing defenders, which would be a situation. Well, <laughs> yeah. You basically need to have a situation where you allow um, kind of a basketball genius to freelance because everything else, all the bases are covered. Um, that's a, a player who's valuable in a very specific circumstances, but unfortunately that's not many lottery circumstances. Ricky, you have any last draft questions before we, we're going to talk about, you brought up Billy Donovan. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Any final draft questions there, Ricky? Uh, I guess we haven't asked you about Poku yet. You wrote the great piece on Poku. Uh, give us the sales pitch on Poku and why. I assume you think he should be a top five, top seven pick. Uh, we yeah. had our boy Brian Brian Schroeder, Cosmos, on the podcast. He said he's got Poku number one. Uh, so for people who haven't grinded the tape as much as you and Cosmos, uh, who are just sort of getting into the draft, give us the sales pitch on Poku for why he deserves to be one of the first players taking this draft. Yeah, I would think about Poku at one, too. Um, I don't think it's every circumstance. Um, so, uh, Alexei Pokashevsky is um, a Serbian uh, 6'12 uh, guard wing center um, who is about the strangest prospect I've ever seen. <laughs> um, he is a good shooter who takes really bad shots. He tries passes that would make LaMelo ball blush. Uh, He had ridiculous stocks numbers in every circumstance that he had. Um, A pretty ludicrous amount of feel. He's listed at 201 pounds, and I think that that's probably 10 pounds heavier than what he actually is. 
um, huge wingspan, uh, and more than anything else, he needs to play basketball. Uh, I think he has like 800-something minutes over the past three years that he's played because of uh, not being able to get out of Olympiakos' B-team responsibilities. Um, and if he were an American kid, um, he would, A, probably like still be in high school, but B, he would be considered like a top-two guy lock in this draft. Um, the thing that a lot of people will say is like, oh, it's Dragon Bender where you didn't see him play. Um, if Dragon Bender had the amount of confidence that Bokashevsky has on like a fingernail, Dragon Bender would have been an all-star. So basically, this is just like pure upside play here. Well, okay, so here's the thing. Is that like, Poku has actual skills. Um, the things that he's really good at are going to translate. His floor is actually much higher than people give him credit for because he's a high field player who blocks shots, makes really good rotations, is a passer who will also shoot. Like, that's a player who's at the very least rotation player, even if the physical... Uh, you know, weight never comes. Um, the thing about Poku is like when you watch him dribble, you think he's six foot five. Like he could be every AAU point guard for any YBL team with the weight he comes to the ball. So the, the, this is a pure upside play, and they're like, Poku can do things that straight up nobody else can do at, yeah. at his size. But his collection of skills are valuable onto themselves. If he can get up to 230 pounds, like if he can get up to like young Nerland's weight, then that's a shot blocker who makes good rotations and you can short roll. Like there's thing, there's no, to me, unless like the body totally flops that like he, he cannot handle any muscle. Um, there's no way that he's not like at least a, a somewhat solid NBA player. Interesting. Definitely have to look into this guy a bit more. Was like, before Brian last, last week was like talking about him. I'm like, I have no idea who this guy is. Uh, it was like I said, I'm a, I'm a draft novice here, but but you guys have been talking it up. I'm going to have to definitely look into this. Um, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, we're going to do some Bulls coaching talk. First, we're going to take one more break from our sponsor, Manscaped. Support for Cash Considerations brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. You know you need those right tools, because sometimes if you have the wrong ones, you're going to hurt your balls while trimming below the belt. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and they just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to to the advanced skin-safe, that's trademark, technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with QuietStroke, it's again trademarked, technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Let's trim that junk of yours and get 20% off free shipping with the promo code CASH2020 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Again, that's 20% off free shipping with the code CASH2020 at manscaped.com. We are back, Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We've been talking a bunch of draft with PD Webb. We are not going to talk a little bit about the Bulls coaching search, as I mentioned. We mentioned Billy Donovan a few times. 
Billy Donovan out at Oklahoma City, kind of I, I'm kind of a surprise, kind of not. Oklahoma City was in a weird spot this season. They obviously overachieved big time. They pushed the Rockets to the basically to the edge in, the first, in Game Seven in the first round. They had a great chance to win. They fall just short. Billy Donovan was in the last year of his contract. They decided not to go separate ways. Uh, that would seem to lead make you believe that the Thunder might be looking to a CP3 trade with the Bucks losing to the Heat. Shout out to Jimmy Butler. Uh, and the Heat going to the Eastern Conference Finals with the Bucks out now. If they're going to keep Giannis for one last run, if he doesn't sign the Supermax, will they try to trade for Chris Paul? There will be others, there are probably other other suitors as well. But Woj says that the Bulls will be interested or are expected to be interested in Billy Donovan. Um, Donovan did a, I guess, a decent job in Oklahoma City. Like I said, seemed to do a pretty good job this year. The last couple of years, they were had really talented rosters, but they kind of, I would say they underachieved the last couple seasons. I would expect if Billy Donovan is looking for a big contract, and that's something I feel like the Bulls would not would not be really ready to hand out. Maybe that's different now. I don't know. With this new front office, it's still the same ownership. PD, what would what do you think about Billy Donovan? I know like we were talking about it before, and like it's sometimes it's hard to know with coaches. Like I feel like he'd be fine as a developmental coach with this with this young team, developing team. Like I don't I, I don't really don't know how like much he would really move the needle. Like I said, he would co- probably cost a lot of money. Uh, what do you think about Billy Donovan as a possible Bulls coaching candidate? I'm of the belief that there are five extraordinary coaches. Uh, there are five awful coaches, and then the rest of the coaches are uh, determinant on what organizational powers they're given, the, they have with their roster, the fit that they have with their circumstances, and then their personality. Um, Billy Donovan is firmly in the middle of that, you know, that morass. Um, he's a fine NBA coach. Um, there's probably a circumstance for him to be successful, but I don't really see abandoning uh, somebody who might be a better fit because Billy Donovan came onto the market. Ricky, do you have any Billy Donovan thoughts here? Yeah, obviously the the news was just breaking as soon as we started recording, so I haven't done any like additional research on Billy Donovan. Uh, to me, he's always just sort of been a guy and not someone you can like who I think is someone who could like take a team to the next level. The one thing I'll say watching the playoffs this year, and honestly it, it comes up in the playoffs every single year is just like the difference between those top five coaches and everyone else. So often just comes down to like how willing you are to experiment and to adjust in the playoffs and how you sort of build your team up during the regular season, be able to do that. We've seen it with Budenholzer, in the Bucs series, obviously Budenholzer is a really good coach, but just the total unwillingness to deviate from the plans that got Milwaukee to that point, in my opinion, it's totally unforgivable. And I mean, you're coaching for your life out there, especially when you look at the way that, you know, Nick Nurse coached on his way to leading the Raptors to a championship last year, basically throwing everything he could at the wall to see what would stick. Uh, someone like Budenholzer didn't really make those adjustments. I was looking at, you know, Oklahoma City, or I've been trying to do, you know, quick uh, research on, is Billy Donovan the type of coach who makes adjustments in the playoffs? And I I can't really tell. I know we got a lot of Lou Dort this year, but Dort was also playing big minutes uh, during the seeding games in the bubble. And really, he was playing quite a bit in end of February and March, too. So, uh, I don't know. Do do you have anything, like, in general that you think the Bulls should... uh, should look for whether it's someone specifically PD or, you know, a, a certain trait or type of coach. So I generally believe that 
the NBA the NBA teams alternate between like in your face guys and process guys. Um, that like those are the two settings that owners That's slip between. True. Yeah, unless like unless a phone call is made or like the right guy comes up, it's just sort of waffling between those two and like looking the Bulls, at it. Yeah, the Bulls kind of like that. They go from like Tom Thibodeau to Fred Hoiberg to fucking Jim Boylan. <laughs> yeah, and then looking at uh, at Karnaschovitz's uh, quotes where he said like attention to players and player care. That's our number one priority. To me, that screams like the switch is going the other way, and now we want like. I don't want to say a player's coach because that carries a certain connotation, but like guys who are much more process oriented, they might be precise about details, but they're not going to um, like make mountains out of molehills necessarily. Uh, so the Bulls got some other candidates who they're, they're interviewing. Uh, they got a bunch. Kenny Atkinson. Is one uh, Ime Udoka is one Wes Unsell Jr. is one Stephen Silas is one Dan Craig the Miami Heat assistant is one. Uh, you sounded like you had some Ime thoughts when we were uh, getting ready to press record on this podcast. What do you think about Ime? Um, I think Ime is going to get the job. Um, that's been something that I've kind of thought for a while. Um, he makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. He has um, the reputation of being like a little bit more of a laid back guy. Um, but his dad was Paul Silas. So I, like, I would not recommend trying him. Um, shout out to Tyrus Thomas. Um, he's like, he's a former player and, and uh, being a pop guy is usually like most of pop's guys are like really uh, up-tempo aggressive personalities. And he may kind of has, uh, sorry, I flipped up my notes. Give me one moment. Um, Ime is like a defensive guy. Um, there's uh, there's a there is something valuable to being like a process based defensive guy who doesn't overreact. Like that's a really specific type of dude. Most defensive coaches are like rah rah guys. Um, and then there's the story about him getting in the fight in uh, in Algeria in 2005. That's just really wonderful. Let's hear that. Um, <laughs> okay, so basically, like there was a, a post game. Uh, scrum after uh, Nigeria, Algeria. And um, some guys are like charging the, the Nigeria uh, section and, and the player telling the story is like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm ducking guys, I'm ducking guys. And I turn around and like, he may have cleared out like six people. Just like they're all on the ground. He's standing there. He's like, no, we're good. Uh, yeah, that's that seems like a fun guy to, to follow. Like a quiet guy who could whoop everybody's ass. Like that's a that's a fine line to walk. Yeah, Udoko has been like mentioned as a possible favorite for a while. For like the it was reported like a few months ago. I feel like his name has kind of maybe fallen like hasn't been mentioned as much lately. Now that we have all these other names and like they're, they're casting this wide net, but I mean, from what I've read and like it, it does seem like you kind of mentioned that you think he's gonna get the job. I mean, it would not surprise me either, given that his name has been out there forever. It seems like he would make some sense. I know there was a report out there from. The Miami, we I think we've talked about Dan Craig, which I just think of James Bond every night every time I hear that name, Dan Craig. Uh, that the Bulls have a lot of interest in him, uh, and that obviously coming from the Heat, we just saw the Heat are moving on to the East Conference Finals and the Heat culture and all that stuff. And he kind of took the Eric Spolcher route, like from the video room and like the video coordinator, and he's had some player development jobs. Do you have any inside knowledge, or do you have any knowledge about Dan Craig at what he would bring, or any thoughts on him? <laughs> Yeah, um, he's like a, a quiet, serious guy. Um, 
there's always a danger exporting like hyper culture people in the same way yeah. that like exporting hyper culture players, like, you know, every player that signed a max contract or a big contract leaving the Spurs like was worse because like they, they were something as a, as a part of a, a larger thing. And um, right. guys who come from the heat where it's like this military style discipline, um, you know, in a very, like we work as hard as possible. Like we weigh people, we do all of these, uh, you know, much more intense things than other programs too. There's a danger in, a guy, if they're not allowed to do things like that, or if that doesn't play, like what's their, what's their fallback? And so I think that there can be a, a love affair with culture that doesn't translate because you can't export, you know, from yes. your previous job everything. And at a certain point, people just like don't want to hear about this team that they have to go play. I think those are really good points. Uh, and yeah, obviously, like what the Heat and seems like the Raptors have been able to do everyone wants to replicate, but there are just like so many steps until you get to that. And I, I totally agree with you that in the NBA teams sort of tend to go with either the drill sergeant or the more player friendly coach, the bulls have done it straight up. I mean, they went from Vinny Del Negro to Thibodeau to Hoiberg to Boylan. So yeah, now they're going to get a chill, cool coach. Uh, But I don't know. I think there's a lot of good options for the Bulls. And just my main takeaway, I guess, is that the Bulls can't really screw it up that badly because they don't have that much at stake right now. Because I don't think that they're particularly on the cusp of accomplishing anything meaningful. It would be literally impossible for them to be whoever they hired to be worse than Boylan because Boylan was straight up awful. Uh, um, I, I've seen I've seen Fisdale coach. Let's, there's, there's some people out there who, who would take Boylan over some of the options they've had. And, you know, we haven't had that opinion on this podcast yet, but sure. Yeah, it's fair. I know Fisdale was was very rough uh, in New York this season, but uh, I guess we'll get out of here with this PD, like outsider's perspective uh, coming from a guy who does a lot of scouting. What do you think of the Bulls sort of core? Like, do you think that there is something uh, that could be made out of it? Do you think it might be in the Bulls' best interest to ship them all off and to stockpile assets and to rebuild it up again? Uh, we're talking about Lowry Markinen, Wendell Carter, and Kobe White most specifically, Zach a little bit too. So uh, just from an outsider's perspective, curious what you think of uh, what the Bulls have in place right now. So I think that it's interesting. Um, I think that without like an organizing engine, these are sort of just component parts. Um, you know, Zach can be redeployed and can be really um, effective easily. I think that's like the, the most drag and drop of the guys who are currently on the roster. Um, I understand that like there's always um, a human component of asking somebody to move off ball um, and, you know, having somebody be the face of something and then bringing in somebody else. And I think that Zach's probably the most interesting trade asset out of this group. Um, I wouldn't necessarily consider him to be something nailed down, but I also like think that he's very easily easy to turn into a winning player in a winning program. Uh, Kobe, I have some concerns about mostly because he doesn't get fouled. Um, that's been something like you can't be a bigger point guard. Who's not a great shooter and doesn't live at the free throw line. Um, I think that the rough defense and the, um, the portability to the bench is probably something that makes sense long-term. Um, again, I think that Kobe like could be a good player, but it's going to require some pretty specific situations. Um, can Laurie shoot? Like, real question. <laughs> We've been waiting for it. Uh, he's been like the same like thirty five like basically league average shooter his whole career, and it, seen, it feels it's just been very disappointing because I think we've been expecting 
him to get up to like close to 40% and it just hasn't come. I mean, I guess like now that Boylan's gone, there's legitimately no excuse. Like it's not like he's so angry that he's missing jumpers right. anymore. Um, because he's sort of a man without a country. Um, the, the NBA is always um, like a moving target and it's moving away from him. Um, it's moving more players, uh, more like skill ball players who are quicker and faster um, into the four spot. And that's going to give him trouble because you can't really move his feet um, like that against, you know, the, the Houston Rockets of the world. So if he can't shoot, like there are really serious questions about what his major utility yeah, is. For sure. Um, and then like Wendell is the one that I would probably not move um, because Wendell's uh, I've been on the Wendell Carter has been misused in every circumstance since Duke oh, train. We have talked uh, about that a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I still have some, some opinions about uh, coach K from how uh, Wendell's time at Duke played out. Um, and I would like to see him as, I don't want to say like, like as a hub of an offense where he gets to, um, run DHOs where some of his playmaking can come out and where he is um, required to shoot threes. Um, I think that there is a, a smart winning player in there and one that has been misapplied broadly. Um, and getting him into a place where he's forced to like run Jokic sets, obviously the passing is in, in like the same stratosphere, but just the idea of like show him a moving defense, tell him he has to get his usage up. Like I think that for a, you know, a solid defender who's aware of scheme, who's a good passer and has a pathway to shooting and like holding large utility, who's been the most uh, destroyed by outside forces that like almost any young career I can really remember in some time. Uh, yeah, I would like to see him like hold like a 26 usage that would be great. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the names that we've talked about, Ricky brought this up, is like a less athletic Bam out of bio because we saw Bam just take a huge jump this season in terms of his playmaking. I think he was up at like four or five assists per game. I feel like Wendell could possibly be a better shooter. We have not seen it because, again, he like rarely does it. I feel like they told him like not to shoot jumpers that much this season. But just this jump that we saw from Bam this season, obviously Wendell does not have those physical uh, the traits in terms of that athleticism, but could possibly do some similar things like that. Do you think he could, he could possibly do s- some of that kind of stuff? I mean, it seems like you do. Yeah. I mean, I've always been much higher on his ball skills. Um, like I would say that like him and miles Turner have been in a, like a foot race to see who can shoot less for like since <laughs> high school. And it's always bugged me. Cause like both of them just like, just shoot, like I please shoot the ball. And um, you know, miles has always like kind of been a fake shooter like internally. Um, and, I think that's sort of like a midpoint between Bam and Al Horford in terms of utility, where like he doesn't necessarily need to make like the downhill DHO reads that, that Bam does, but just getting him into advantage situations where his basketball feel can work itself out. Um, and that sort of creative playmaking um, would, in a world where you draft Killian, like really help Zach Levine. If you can get, you know, a, uh, a downhill uh, DHO with your center to free up you know, your weak side, uh, plus plus shooter like that sounds like a, a good and fun offense and it seems like something that you guys have been calling for bringing it full circle right there bringing it back to the killian pays fit i love it uh ricky you have we any any last questions thoughts here should we wrap it up i think we can wrap it up draft killian hayes i guess is the one thing that we're all in agreement on good to know yeah pd thank you for joining us tell our listeners where they could find you on twitter where they could find your work again uh, yeah, you can find me at Twitter at above the break three. Um, in the in my bio, there is a link to my Patreon. Um, all my work is free. Um, all my draft work um, is free. Uh, every uh, if you want to pay 
five dollars just to help me subsidize uh, international video packages and stats. Um, and for five bucks once a month, I do a, a Patreon appreciator uh, post. This month, it was what Pokemon would you take to make a good five man defensive lineup? Uh, it was a lot of fun to write. Uh, Include some great Photoshop. Um, yeah, I want to say thank you for having me on. Uh, I've been a, a long time reader uh, of Ricky's work and, and a long time listener to this podcast. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. This is uh, this has been an honor. PD does awesome. some great work. Go back read all of his breakdowns. Read the Poku breakdown, the Okoro breakdown, the Killian breakdown. They're all really good and will make you a smarter basketball fan. And you know that's the point of all this. So thank you, PD. We really appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. And for us here at Cash Considerations, we're going to wrap up here. Thanks, as always, for listening. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. Got a ton of sponsors this week. Shout out to all of them. We got Chevy doing it with our Greg Olson great pod. We got DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket, Bet Online, and Manscaped. Uh, for us, uh, please rate and review us. Hit us up on Twitter. You know where to find us. Let, we know, let us know what we can do better. Let us know if there's anything you want to hear. Uh, I guess there was some other draft news today in terms of it looks like it's going to be moved back a bit. It might still be in October, but I think the October 16th date it was or something like that, it's going to be moved back. So we'll have a bit more time to prep for the draft, and we'll, we'll bring you plenty more draft coverage as we come up to that. And I believe the Bulls should have their in-market workouts coming up pretty soon. So. And then hopefully they'll hire a coach pretty soon. So I think we should – things are ramping up a bit again for the Bulls now as the playoffs get deeper and deeper. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys uh, next time, whether that's if they hire a coach or, or next weekend. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, for Jason and Ricky, this has been Cash Considerations, a Shy Bulls podcast. Talk to you guys next time. The wait is finally over and football is back. You not, might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.